Hello and welcome to episode 359 of Berg on the Freak. I'm that bloke from Rugby League Project, Andrew Ferguson. You can follow me on Twitter at AndrewRLP. Join me as always is a glorious League Freak. You can also find me on Twitter at League Freak and possibly at the top of Buzz Rothfield's top 50 podcasters list. How you going, mate? I'm going pretty well. Um, my feeling is he probably doesn't listen to our podcast. Sure the simple does. fact that it goes for a while and he's probably in bed by 4.30 in the afternoon, let's face it. Bed? No, mate. That's when he's at the pub. <laughs> that's happy hour. Well, well, that's the that's the first of the three happy hours that he has. Okay, so let's take people on a magical mystery tour, okay? It starts off a couple of days ago where where Phil Rothfield puts out a list of the top 50 players in the NRL. Didn't really look too much at the list. Uh, it, it's, as said, as said, it's that wanky thing you do in the off-season when you've got nothing to write about, so you go, let's make a list. Yeah, pretty much, pretty much. Let's make it a little bit odd so that people will click on it and be angry about it because where's that player from my team? Yeah, because in the, in the mainstream media, they do this thing where they're like, you know what I'll do to get attention? I'll say something really fucking stupid. Really, yeah. really fucking stupid. And I'll get heaps of attention for it. And what I want is attention. I don't care about with people think that I'm a fucking moron now. I just want the attention. Yeah, so they do about, that. It's not even about being right or wrong or no. being valid. Exactly, exactly. So he puts out his 50 players list. And I, Matt Burton was number nine on the list. I was out at that point, right? <laughs> I don't think Matt Burton's maybe in the top nine players at Penrith. But he's not saying he's a bad player, but come on, ninth best player in the game. Let's not be stupid. And so then there was the conclusion made from that list by, I don't know if it was him or other journalists, and I use that term really loosely, Yes, that the better players tend to be at the better clubs in the NRL. So Hang instead, on. yeah, Hang on. I know, so, I know. So does that, does it, I'm wondering, you know, what comes first here, the chicken or the egg? So... Are all the best players at the best clubs? Or is Matt Burton actually one of the top 10 players in the NRL? It's a good question. And the see answer where I'm is, coming from? You see where I'm coming from here? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, the answer like, is fine. Did, out. Did, they, did they put him in the top 10 purely because he plays for Penrith? Or is he just a really good player? My answer is I don't know. Okay. Neither do they. Maybe if I'd had 15 schooners, it would make sense. But I We've haven't got... had 15 schooners. We've got time. Well, you know, <laughs> we will do one of those podcasts in this off-season. But <laughs> it turns out that the top teams that perform better generally have better plays than the bottom bottom place teams. No. It's not, yeah, it's not like sediment where you get a congregation at the bottom. Like, a lot of people tend to have this silly idea that the best players are at the bottom clubs, right? It's lucky we have these journalists to tell us that the better players are normally at the better clubs, right? And so that leads us to today, where there are calls once again by these journalists saying that we need an NRL draft (laughs) for rookies and that we need to bring it in to equalise the competition that has been thrown wildly out of whack in the last two years for some reason I can't quite put my finger on. 
and neither will they. It's interesting that they've, they've admitted, finally, after defending all of their rule changes for the entire year, they finally admit that maybe we've got the rule changes wrong. So how do we reverse that problem? How do we make things the way they used to be where we didn't have buyouts all the time? How do we go back to a time when it was better? How do we how do we make things go backwards? How do we roll back to a better time? Mm. Let's make more changes. Yes, exactly. Fucking dumb fucks. So stupid. So utterly stupid. Let's, <sighs> instead of saying our rule changes is shit, they made for the worst competition in living memory for me, right? And I'm saying this is somebody that's got nothing special to get out of it. You know, my team won the comp this year. So it's not like anyone could say, oh, you're just worried about your team. My team won the comp, okay? This was the worst fucking season I've ever seen in my life. The football was really bad. The blowouts were horrible to watch. It's the least competitive season I've ever seen in my life. And it is all because of rule changes they brought in after the 2019 season. And the way they think so they will fix that is to undermine a junior development system that has worked for Australian Rugby League for over 100 years. Yeah, And you know what's going to happen with this if they brought that in and it's going to be juniors-based? Mm-hmm. Every single NRL club, no matter how good or bad they are at junior development, will all stop doing it. Why would you? Yeah, why would you, why would you develop juniors if you're not going to get to keep them? Yeah, I mean, Penrith spend in the millions of dollars on their junior system. It's the biggest one in the world. And, you know, it produces players for every single club. It's not like we're sitting here saying, well, it just benefits Penrith. And it's not like Penrith have won the last 10 premierships either, let's face it. They're going to win the the next 10, though. Well, 10. Why would they stop at 10, Andrew? I don't understand why you'd say that. That's cool. I only work in in one decade at a time. Okay. The next decade is that's up for negotiation. That's fair (laughs) enough. That's fair enough. I don't don't want to get ahead of myself is what I'm getting at. Yeah, yeah, I I get that. Um, But Penrith literally produces players for every single other club in the competition as well as clubs overseas. So it's not like you can look at the Penrith system and how much money they spend and say, well, they're the only ones getting something out of it. Um, Everyone gets something out of it, but why would they spend that money if they weren't able to, at the very least, have these juniors on their doorstep? Yeah, it's nuts. It's, It's another thing that would be entirely detrimental. The thing is, and this is what would happen, is if they brought this in, the first two or three seasons, it would look like a brilliant idea because the first two or three seasons, the long-term damage that it has is not going to be seen. Five, six years down the track, when the quality of the juniors coming through starts to dwindle or the number of juniors coming through starts to drop off, that's when you start to notice it. And that, when it gets to that point, that can't be reversed. Mm-hmm. I can't... Yeah. You know, okay, you know what? I've got an apology to make. Okay. To Justin Pascoe. Because, you know, regular listeners would would know that I've been quite, um, quite 
furious towards Pasco. Yeah, I've gathered you're not a fan of his. Yeah, I mean, I've I've called him Potato mm-hmm. a lot. Captain Potato in the last episode. Exactly, exactly. I mean, I I upped his rank. Yeah, from just a standard spud to a captain spud. Mm-hmm. But um, it's it's made me realise that maybe he's not as bad as I think he is. In what way? I don't think he himself has the wherewithal to fuck up the game as much as Peter Volandis has in the yeah. time that Volandis has done it. I don't think Pasco is capable of that much work. And I would say this. If you put Pasco in as the ARLC boss at the end of the 2019 season, the game is not in the shape it is now. It would still be where it was in 2019 because he doesn't know how to move forward. Yeah, he doesn't do anything. Yeah, And that's kind of what we needed then. He'd have been the perfect replacement. He'd just yeah. sit there and have no emotions and just watch the world evolve around him. And Pretty that's much. all we needed. Everything yeah. was fine. It was great. It was really great, you know. Um, so I'm, I'm going to push for Pasco to replace PVL. Okay. What do you reckon? I can't quite get behind that, but well, see, we've we've got to work in baby steps. Yeah, that's a good point. So he um, will, he will he will stabilize things until we can find someone with half an iota of common sense because that's all you need to have more than Pasco um, to get in there and go. You know what? Maybe things are better in 2019. Let's take it back there. Okay, bingo, job done. Can we now sack the ARLC and get rid of everyone on the NRL board and get rid of the rules committee and just go back to playing footy? Well, here's the thing, right? <laughs> the the ARL commission is not just Peter Volandis. There are a bunch of people that are on the ARL commission and they like going from place to place on the uh, Australian Rugby League's dime and going and handing out trophies and getting the, you know, the red carpet treatment. And none of them are doing anything about what has been done to the game by the chairman. Now, he's not their boss, okay? He is on the same level as them. He's just the chairman. He has the deciding vote on certain things. But these fucking bludgers on the ARL commission are allowing things to happen to the game at the moment that are not good for the game of rugby league in Australia. And, you know, considering that we've just had a premiership where it has been won by a team where most of the players are from the general district of that club. And we talked about it for a long time. We said what great scenes it was that, you know, people were able to celebrate with the family members of these players in the Penrith district. You know, people were driving past their houses and bipping their car horns when they won the grand final. And we've just said that this is fantastic and this is something that rugby league has that not too many other sports actually have when you get to the professional level and they want to scrap it. And why do they want to scrap it? They want to scrap it because they think that they're going to, you know, move a bunch of players to places that, and I don't know what can constitutes a rookie under there. Like, do you get them when they're 16? Do you get them when they're 17, 18? Is it just when they haven't played a first grade game? It's a very grey line of what constitutes a rookie player. Um, 
and then we're going to move them all over the place. They might have to go to New Zealand. They might have to go to North Queensland, away from all of their family and friends and their support systems. Worse still, they might have to come to Melbourne. Oh, can you imagine? That'd we be shouldn't be worst. forcing people to do that. No, no. And it, it, I just think it's a... And the ironic thing out of all of it is that if you look at the wooden spooners this year, right, the last thing they want is for the their juniors to be sent elsewhere because the Brisbane Broncos also have a pretty damn good junior base. I know they're not going well, but that's more to do with decisions that have been made by that club over the last few years. You look at some of the very good young players they've produced and uh, it's hard to argue that it's not one of the better junior development regions in Australia. And the last thing they need is for junior players to be sent elsewhere. It's a really, really dumb idea and it should never have gotten to the point where they're even discussing it. Yeah, it's uh, yeah, I'm I'm lost for words. I mean the the number of times the draft concept is brought up by let's let's be kind. These fucking wankers in the media. Because mm-hmm. it's the they they see it working in other sports. And when I say working, I probably mean the word functioning more than working. Yes. And that is AFL. They see it functioning there. Um, and then, obviously, I suppose the most prolific draft that goes on is the NBA. Mm-hmm. I know other sports have got them as well, but the NBA probably gets the most publicity, I guess, worldwide with their draft. And these idiots are at the... Uh, let's. They're at News Limited. Fuck it. Um, and that, look, there's they, like, they, they, in the whole world, there's six of them, Andrew. There's yeah. about six of them. And they see the draft. They see the NBA draft. I reckon that's probably all they're looking at. They go, oh, NRL should have something like that. It'd be exciting. Yeah, you know? and they, they want the event. They want... The, yeah. They want the television product. They That's... want to have the day where everyone sits down and, you know, they, there's all of these fucking players get pulled out of a, you know, out of the crowd and they have to put on a new hat and then they can, you know, talk to them and stuff. They want to be there when that happens. They don't care about what the actual effect is. They, they've they never looked into it and how it actually works. No. And why why it won't work in rugby league? How many how many NBA teams are overseas? One. Which one's that? Toronto Raptors. They're not really overseas though, are they? Well, it's, over it's a border. different. It's a different country, so. Yeah, but it's just over the border. Yeah. Yeah. They're not overseas though. No. It's. Look, I, I'm a, I'm a huge, ridiculously huge NBA fan, right? Yeah. Like, so I've seen the draft over many, many years. I've seen when it has worked for some teams. I've seen when it has not worked in, for many, many teams. There are some teams that get on a roller coaster where they just hang around at the wrong point of the draft and they don't really get any better. There's other teams that have destroyed multiple seasons to try and get good plays and it hasn't worked out for them. Um, There's other teams that have been good 
and have had their best player get injured. They've tanked that season and they've stocked up and they've been good for decades because of it. It's not a perfect system. And the thing about the NBA is you can have five players on the court at one time for your team. And so if you get one good player, you can have, you've got one of the five better players out of a rookie class. There's 13 players on a rugby league field at any one time for a team. It's not like you can get one player who is a 19-year-old and they're going to turn your club around. That's not how it works in rugby league. No. You know, the Panthers didn't bring in one dude and it was like, well, that fixed everything. They brought in like, what, 10 of them? 10 young players at least? Yeah. It's... It's utterly, utterly nonsense. I, oh man! And look, the, it got broken in in the nineties, and you can, excuse me, you can go back to our uh, history episodes and hear the one where we talked about the the birth of the salary cap, because in that we talk about the um, birth of the draft concept as well and why it failed. Mm-hmm. And it was as simple as um, one player not wanting to travel from Western Sydney to Bondi. That's all it took. And he was absolutely right in his his concern because he said, you know, I've been drafted by the Roosters, but I've just bought a house out in the Western suburbs of Sydney. I can't afford to travel out there. And they're like, ah, that's kind of fucked it, hasn't it? Yeah. You can't force a person to go somewhere. That's not really fair on the player. But the idea that in this day and age, with everything we know about what we need to do for our young football players, that we're going to say to all of these young kids that are, you know, some of them will probably be in high school, that they we're not sure where you're going to be in three months from now. So we're going to have a draft and we're going to tell you where you've got to go. And it could be pretty much anywhere. And you're going to move away from your family, your friends, your support system, and good luck. You know, you're a professional footballer. Oh, by the way, don't think that they're going to bring that in and it just be open slather in terms of how much you can pay that player. They will put a wage cap on those young players. And look, if I was a young rugby league talent in Australia and I had to go into a rookie draft and they capped my earnings at, say, $70,000 or $80,000, I'd ring up the Australian Rugby Union and say, can you yeah. offer me ninety? Yeah. It's, a thing. it's, you know, in the NBA, what do you what do you get when you get drafted as a rookie? Or they, like three, best part of three quarters of a million dollars for the best, best players? Oh, no. They get millions and millions of dollars. And, and they get, they get uh, their rookie salaries in the NBA are capped. And it's on a bit of a sliding scale from the, the top draft picks down the list. And uh, they get a guaranteed contract. And then at the end of that contract, they've got the ability to sign a gigantic like $150 million deal if they so choose. And they all choose to because it's guaranteed money, you know. Yeah, um, yeah they get millions of dollars. Sorry. So you, you can actually – you sign one of those contracts. You can afford – to buy every single person in your support network and your family a new house near where yours is. Yes. <laughs> you can move them all around wherever you like. You can't do that on $90,000 in Sydney. No, no. And, you know, it's 
I really worry about that for young players. It's not a good thing, you know? And that's why... And the thing is, too, in rugby league in in Australia in particular, um, you know, you can come up through the grades. You look at Matt Burton, right? Comes up through the grades at Penrith, gets into the Panthers team. He's kind of excess to what they need at the time. They had him, they had Luai, and they had Dane Laurie. And they had those three players, and it was really a fight between a lot of them. And it eventually become Luai got the gig. Laurie goes to the West Tigers, which, you know, West Tigers are a lower table club. And then Matt Burton's going to the Bulldogs next year, which is a lower table club. The salary cap does its job. The salary cap does a bloody good job. And there's, like, you can win two titles in Australia if you're a really, really, really good club. No one's won three titles in, like, a lifetime. Not not in a while. It's it's crazy. Um, that's the thing you, you'll find too. Some of these young players, the, the the two that you just mentioned there, Burton and Laurie, mm-hmm. they may have changed clubs. They haven't moved that far from Penrith though. Yeah, that's true. That's they true. They stayed close to their support networks. Yeah, it's not like they had to move to North Queensland. And I, I'm just saying North Queensland, nothing against club, just that it's a long way away. I could yeah. easily say the you know having to move to Auckland I could say moving to Melbourne it's just a distance thing that's right and you're not seeing um, you know over the history of the club you don't see a whole huge volume of teenage or 20 year old players signing with the Storm or the Warriors unless they're actually from you know their nursery region especially the Warriors the Storm though more often than not have to buy established players and the, you find what the Storm do as well is they will sign a player, say, that's in, in Queensland, and they leave them there. Yeah. You know, and they only bring them down to Melbourne to play or to become part of their first-grade squad when they're of a certain age. And they're very careful with the way they do it. That's and, right. like, even, I mean, the likes of Greg Inglis and Billy Slater, when they started to do training with the first-grade squad, they would go back home and play for the, you know, the feeder team up in the Queensland Cup. It wasn't like they said, you're down here now, and that's it. Um, you know, the Auckland Warriors have been great for New Zealand talent because that talent hasn't had to go to Australia to have a career. It's been able to stay in New Zealand if it's wanted to. Um, it, it's just a draft would be a really bad thing for young players and a really bad thing for junior development. And a really bad thing for what is the fabric of the game at the end of the day over here, which is, you know, a kid born in Mount Druitt today can grow up and say, you know what, one day I'm going to play for the Penrith Panthers. And he can do that. Yeah. And there's nothing standing in his way if he's good enough. And a That's draft right. would stand in his way. But now they're, they're making... They're making loyalty of any description to the player or from the player, completely null. And when you do that, you kind of put a lot, you start to put pressure on salary caps because clubs actually get a, it's not a big compensation, but they get some compensation for players who come through their junior system and make it to the NRL, right? And so Penrith are getting probably one of the bigger um, 
reductions in salaries. I think that only kicks in when they've. I think it only kicks in when they've been there for like ten years or something. Yeah, but it, it starts in the junior levels. So a lot of these players are going to get it at Penrith when they hit probably 24, 25, 26, somewhere around there. So they're not even going to be old players. Mm. It's going to be when they're, yeah, after they've done, I think, 10 years from 14 or 15-year-old, or somewhere around there from memory, which for a lot of them, that's not that far away. It's probably going to come up for some of them in their next contract. You know, and so that's going to help the Panthers to give some small, you know, upgrades to salaries every now and then to some of these players to keep them on board. It might be enough to keep them on board. That's kind of what you should have. Yeah. If you start bringing in a draft, the chances of any club being able to do that, you you, you start to lose the ability to be able to protect your own players because the game is taking them away from you before you get a chance to save them. So they're just gone. Yeah, 100%. And look, I, I look at a team like Parramatta, for instance, Junior Paulo is a junior of that club, right? I don't ever want to see him playing for another club. And if he is, if he costs 50% of his actual salary on the Eels salary cap when he has played like eight seasons of NRL football, I've got zero problems with that. You know, that needs to be the way we're going, which is the complete opposite way of a draft. And, and look, people will say, well, it's easy enough for a Panthers fan to say. But it's not like we've been winning all the premierships. We've won one premiership in fucking, yeah. what is it, 18 years? And also, let's be honest, you've only got to go back two years to see Penrith struggling to make the finals. Mm-hmm. It's not like they've been doing this for ages. Mm-hmm. They've only just started this this um, you know, period of success. Only just started it. And that's the thing. If you take all that away, then what? And if Cleary ends up at, you know, the Broncos and Burton's at the Bulldogs, you've got um, Lou White at Canterbury and so on and so forth. Does that actually improve the game overall? I don't think it does because a large reason why Penrith is good is not because of the individuals. It's because these guys have been playing together for so long they know each other's game, and they get confidence out of the fact that they know each other's game. It's that confidence, as well as their ability, that makes them hard to beat because they well, know each other's game so well. When people were watching, um, you know, the big four at the West Tigers, when they not long after they first come through, Tigers started to get a little bit of a roll on in attack. I wouldn't say winning games, but their attack started to show signs of being really hard to stop at times because... These four guys had played junior footy together and every now and then you'd see signs where they would do things that were just instinct. A classic one was Luke Brooks throwing an inside ball without looking and Tedesco would take it. That's just, Brooks just knows he's there because that's where he's always been through the junior days. You know, and once you start breaking up things like that, you, you lessen those players. They they're not as good because they don't have that, you know, that crew around them that's, that helps them be, be what they are, makes them better. You know, we, I mean, we've got to look at Luke Brooks as a good example. He looked I'd like say, a million dollars in his debut in his first season and a half because he had his team around him that he grew up with. Yeah. But they all left. Look what you got left. Yeah, he's playing with a bunch of bludgers all of a sudden and, and it's been no good for him. But it's, and it's dragged him down. 
Yeah. And that's what well, I'm saying. Like, if, if we start doing that and we bring in a draft, that's what we're going to do to every top-quality talent that comes through a decent juniors nursery. We're going to turn them all into Luke Brooks. And the thing to – another player to look at is Adam Reynolds, right? Adam, Adam Reynolds – the decision that South made on Adam Reynolds should never have had to involve the salary cap at all. It should have just been what they were willing to spend on him. So if Adam Reynolds cost zero against the South's cap because he has played X number of first grade games all for South Sydney, having been a South Sydney junior, if he cost nothing against their salary cap and was on a million bucks a year, I personally would have no problems with it because they developed him as a player He's played there his, his entire career, and that's what we need to encourage. The draft does the exact opposite of that, and it, it's it's just not a good thing. It's not a good thing for the players, not a good thing for player development. It, it's not a good thing for the game overall. And these same people that will chest, you know, chest punch themselves and say, oh, we've got a tribalism runs rugby league, and now saying, well, we're just going to fucking scatter kids all across Australia. And they're going to have to play for who we tell them to play for. That's bullshit. That's absolute bullshit. And the only people that would like to see that happen are these fucking morons in the media who all their ideas stink. And clubs that aren't willing to put any money or time or effort into junior development, which isn't many of them. I think most of them do. Yeah. Well, they know they have to. I mean, you think about it. If you get get two or three young kids come through your own junior system, and they want to play in the NRL for your club, you don't need to offer them much money to say yes. Do you want to play NRL for us? They go, yeah, all right, here's a deal worth $100,000. What do you reckon? Sweet, sign me up, I want to play. It might only be a one- or two-year deal. They don't care. They want to play. If you've got to try and lure an established player from another club, you're not going to be able to lowball them like that. And I know that sounds harsh, but that is the business of the game. And then if you like – clubs clubs are smart, though. They're not going to lowball their talented players, but they're not going to offer them the top dollar either. They're going to be reasonable about it, knowing that these guys want to play for us, so we don't need to go overs to keep them. But well, they do need to go overs if you're going to get a player from another club who's already established. And so it is yeah. cheaper just through – common logic, to just bring your own players through. Yeah, and look, one of Penrith's advantages is that they can let someone like Laurie go, they can let Burton go, and they know that there will be some youngsters behind them that will be on lower-end salaries. But having said that, it's very rare that you get a player in rugby league that isn't on a decent amount of money, that is on a lower salary than what they should be earning. Like, I look at someone like a Callum Ponga who played a couple of first-grade games and boom, he was on a massive salary straight away. Um, You know, Nathan Cleary's been on a million bucks a year for a few years now, and he's only a young bloke. Um, Stephen Crichton at Penrith, he's on a whack of money, and he deserves it. Like, I'm I'm not saying they don't deserve it, but what I'm saying is when you get to that point where you should be earning more money in rugby league, you start earning more money really fucking quickly. There's not very many players in this game who you can look at and say, you know what, he's playing out of his skill and he's on a really low salary for the next three or four years. That just doesn't happen. 
No, and if it does, you know, the club knows that other teams are going to come sniffing, so they automatically up their their income anyway. Yeah. Uh, you know, it's, uh, it's, it's, there's nothing good out of a draft. Nothing good at all. Not one good thing. Uh, the, the, I mean, the Broncos, the, the Broncos would want you to leave them alone. You know, let them use their junior base and their ability to sign free agents and let them build their team. Look at the Bulldogs. Bulldogs have been terrible for years now because their salary cap was ruined by the previous administration. Now that they've got some money to spend, they've put together a damn good team. Yeah. And it hasn't been a team full of rookies. Like, one of their their least experienced players next year will be Matt Burton, who's coming off the back of a premiership win in the Sanders. The rest of their players that they signed were mostly veterans. You know, they didn't go out and sign a bunch of young kids. No. If you chuck a bunch of young kids out in the field, you're going to get flogged for the most part. Yeah. And, I mean, we saw that with the Bulldogs for the last few seasons. They've had a fair few uh, young fellas there. Um, yeah, it's it's crazy. I don't know why they keep pushing this, this draft concept. It's stupid. But I dare say they push it because they know they've now got this pot plant that's in the uh, – yeah, ARLC, who will listen to everything they say and, and entertain their stupid ideas. Yeah, and their ideas are just utterly stupid. Like some of the... We've talked about the articles we've seen written over the off-season from the the hounding of a team that was celebrating a premiership victory to just ridiculous lists that they've come up with, like absolutely stupid lists. Ones that you and me have sent... You've sent me one the other day we didn't even bring it up on the podcast because it wasn't worth it. And you were like, what the fuck is this team? And it was just this dumb list that had been put together by some dummy for no reason at all. And I understand some lists can be fun. Some lists can generate some discussion. But these people are so disconnected from the game and they're all fucking old and tired. All of them. They're just all old. They've got nothing yeah. to do with rugby league. They're not talking to people in rugby league. No, and certainly not talking to fans. No, that's a this is the worst thing about off season though is you get so much drivel in the media. You really do, and and you know you see them called out for their shit on Twitter, and they're always condescending and they act like that they they've got some higher fucking understanding of the game, and they all get shown up. It's it's so absolutely ridiculous. Seeing they get shut up real up. fast too. They they really do. And then they and go by, not by one or two again. people, by everyone. Then they go on a block frenzy and block everyone. Then they realise that that's too time consuming, so they just delete their account. They really yeah. It, it's yeah. for for people who give their opinion, you know, as a job, really really thin skin. You know, you if you give an opinion. You've got to be able to at least talk it out and come yeah. to some sort of, not even an agreement, but at least say, this is what I base this on. Right? Yeah, have, and have some gumption. You know, yeah, and look, back... if, if you're wrong, just admit you're wrong. Yeah. Yeah, you're not going to get sacked. You should, but then you're not going to get sacked. Oh, man, it's fucking nuts. Anyway. It's crazy. It is absolutely crazy. What else has been going on in the world of news, Freaky? Not much else. Uh, Adam Adam Elliott is now a Canberra Raider for one year. 
So that we'll see how long but, that lasts. <laughs> aren't the writers currently dealing with a bit of issue with uh, uh, the hooker? I know. Tom Starling? Star- well, Starling, yeah, he's got an issue that he's dealing with, right? Yeah. And apparently the negotiation with the West Tigers to release... Um, why have we forgot all the players' names after three Josh, weeks? Josh Hodgson. Josh Hodgson. Their negotiations is that they want little in return for Hodgson, which is oh. a smart move because then that means they've at least got some sort of backup. They're not left with just one hooker they're relying on who they don't know if he's going to be there at some point. Um, what do you think of that as a West Tigers fan? I don't mind losing little. Mm-hmm. I think, given that this is his first genuine full season uh, without injury, mm-hmm. and I'm, I'm happy that that didn't. You know, he managed to get a, an injury-free season in. I didn't see any real development in his game at all. Mm, I, I felt the same way. So I don't see any genuine attack in his game that that is helpful to the side. Yeah. Um, he doesn't have a solid frame or a solid defensive technique. Like, he's about the same. I'm pretty sure he's about the same height and almost same weight as Robbie Farah. But Farah had enough upper body strength to hold his own in defense. He wasn't the sort of bloke that would pull off, you know, monster tackles and stuff like that. But he could wrap the ball up. And he could affect one-on-one tackles every now and then, which is pretty handy for a number nine. And it helps fix up your defense in the middle. Um, but Littles, he, he still seems a bit light on in that area. Um, so I, I don't mind losing him, but I don't see how signing Josh Hodgson is of any value to the club either. If you've got Little and you're looking at getting Hodgson, Mm-hmm. What you're getting is just an old version of Little at the moment. And Little, while he's younger, he would have more potential than Josh Hodgson right now to get better. And I would also say I would I would prefer to have Little, little in, um, you know, if he was in an all right team, I think he would make better decisions than Hodgson. Hodgson tends to make horrific decisions for his team when they're in an attacking situation. And that gets glossed over a little bit because to their credit and sometimes to their, you know, failure a little bit, Canberra fans are very, very loyal to their players. And he probably didn't get called out for some of the terrible options he has taken in big games for them before. So, um, but I agree with you a little to me. What I saw of him this year, he is a fringe first grader at best at the moment. Um, They do need to upgrade that hooker role, but you don't upgrade your hooker role by bringing in a, what, a 32-year-old English hooker who's coming off knee surgery. Much more expensive. He won't be be any cheaper than Little. He'll cost more than Little. We know that. Yeah. Um, And, you know, in Josh Hodgson's defence, he deserves to go out there and ask for more money than, than Little does because Little's barely played any football. Hodgson has played test footy, albeit for England, but it's more than Little's achieved. So he's got every right to demand more money. 
Um, but for me, as far as talent and you know, over the long term, over the entirety of the the contract offer, which I'm guessing is three years, uh, Tigers would be making a sideways move and paying a lot more money to do so, which just seems stupid. I would also say, let's say it is three years, and we don't know at the moment, but let's say it is three years. How many hookers in the NRL have been good after the age of 33? You don't see it often. No, it's like Cameron Smith. Yeah. and I, I would be obviously a little biased because I think Farrah copped a lot of um, hate and it's because a lot of people foolishly believed he was some sort of coach killer and they, they hated him for that. Mind you, look at the coaches who he helped. You know, if he did get rid of coaches, look at the coaches you got rid of and tell me why you would hate someone who did that. Tim Sheens, when he lost the plot, Mick Potter, who'd done very little. Um, not that I was opposed to Mick Potter leaving, but, you know, it's not like he'd achieved much as a coach anyway. Jason Taylor, oh, he wasn't even there for Taylor sacking, but, I mean, are these coaches that we should have hung on to? No. So why get all shitty over, you know, if Farrah got rid of them, which I entirely doubt he had any part in the demise of any of those coaches. Um, so, yeah, I don't get why... He's hated so much, but I still think that he's he was much better when he returned to the West Tigers than when he was at South and in his last season and a half at the Tigers before that. Uh, and mostly because I think he took the time to actually get some injuries fixed up because he was doing the same thing when he went to South in that last season and a half at the Tigers that Hodgson does now, and that is takes one or two very slow steps out of dummy half before passing the ball. And when you do that, the defense is now seven metres away instead of 10 metres away. You've got less room to move, and it just shut down the attack every fucking time. I was just looking at Farrah, and I'd be yelling at the screen all the time, pass it before you run, you fucking idiot. You used to yeah. do it all the time. Why do you stop doing it now? And when he came back to the Tigers, that's what he started to do. He would only run the ball when he saw there was a lazy marker or an opportunity to get a penalty or a gap, which is smart. That's what he used. That's what he used to be really good at was running from dummy half. It's un, it's an underrated thing of uh, service out of dummy half. It and it's weird that it it goes missing on some people's radars when they look at players, uh, hookers, and, and the service they give. Yeah. Um, particularly, I find that. It's especially in England, I'm surprised at it, how poor some of the service is from English hookers over in Super League. Um, they, they, it's like they don't really care about that sort of stuff too much. But yeah, I look, think the, I was going to say actually on that, I think a lot of the problem there though is coaches because every single hooker in the English Super League for the probably the best part of the last 10, 15 years has also spent probably thirty percent of each rugby league season playing as a half or a five-eighth as well. They have vastly different roles these days. I don't know about that. I, like, I mean, do you have a look, every single hooker that's played this year has also played at least five or six games in the halves. Every one of them. Yeah. Well, so I, you do I, that? I go back to Kieran Cunningham's service out of dummy half was poor. 
Um, and, and they would say, oh, he's the best this, he's the best that. And I was like, man, it, it starts with your surface out of dummy half, you know. Um, and, and the best one, look, Cameron Smith is the best hooker of all time. And you just look at the service he gave out a dummy half and how many poor passes in his entire career he did out a dummy half, how many late passes, how many times he was late to the play the ball. Like you're talking about over the longest career in first grade history, he might have all up with all of those things. It might have counted to 20, maybe like, and that's why he was the best. And, um, we have seen in the past players that they it is slow or their service is poor out of dummy half. And I, I just think considering your play starts from that very moment, it's like a clean play of the ball is the first thing you want. The second thing is quick service from your dummy half. And if those two things are poor, it, everything else, you're, you're playing a fucking eight-meter defensive line because yeah. they've already got a couple of steps on you. So... I always find it weird that that's not looked at a little bit more by some clubs. Absolutely. And it, was, it wasn't that long ago that every team had a pretty decent uh, hooker. But now it's just sort of they're drifting away from it again. I think they're spending a lot more time trying to get ball-playing fullbacks back into well, yeah, the side. Well, you know what I think has changed? These new rules are bad. And I was th- it's weird because I was thinking about this a couple of days ago with Damien Cook. If you look at these new rules, and because everything's a mess, so the markers are very rarely properly square, and the play the ball is messy. And so a player like Damian Cook, where in the past he would be able to catch a properly lazy marker offside, now the the markers are very rarely, you know, behind one another. So it's easier to cut him down. Yeah. Um well, that's the thing. He's got, he's got to actually run wider. Yes. And by yes. the time he's doing that, he's already running at another defender. And he's easier to pick off because yeah. he's a, a bigger target. He's running across the field. Um, so I think that the current rule set, weirdly, is not great for hookers. Uh, they're also having to do a lot more running with this sort of uh, rules that we're playing under. And, yeah, I, I was thinking about that the other day because Damian Cook, he's... If you look at his game from, and it's not like he's aged out or anything, but if you look at his game from 2019 to this year, it is very, very different. And it's because he's a good player and he's adapted to what he's got in front of him. But I just think it's another example of why these rules are terrible. No, fully agree. It's It's been horrible for, you know, the... Mid mid to lower table teams, when it, especially when it comes to their forward pack, they've struggled the most, especially if they don't have a good nine. Mm-hmm. You got to have a look at the impact that it had on Blake Braley at the Sharks. Uh, yeah. Last year, uh, in 2019-2020, he was playing some damn good football and was developing a really good attacking game. And then the rules had that massive change, and he was so easy to shut down this year. And it meant that there were several games when the Sharks come up against a... You know, a similarly strength um, forward pack or a stronger forward pack than theirs, they would not beat them because mm. Braley couldn't get them on the front foot and get them into the game. And it's a shame to see a genuinely good hooker like that have his development halted in an instant because of rules. 
Yeah. That's nuts. It really is. And and look, we, we saw impacts on all sorts of players. I mean, we're at a point now where you you could play a a second rower in the centres again. And we thought we'd go yeah. away from that, you know. Yeah, that's definitely coming back. Yeah. So it's it's not good the rule set. So we need a draft. <laughs> so we need a draft. That'll fix the rules. Everyone's just going to, you know, all the second rolls are just going to be the top ranked uh, picks. <laughs> it's That's it's it. like it's like we need a team in West Brisbane. Let's put one in North Brisbane. Oh, why not? Why not? Put them everywhere. It's <laughs> it's crazy some of the decisions that have been made and I just, if they just rolled them back. I actually saw an article I think it was in one of the Channel 9 media outlets that said they were thinking about bringing back two referees. And I just wanted to set the entire planet on fire because these morons go around in circles. They're idiots chasing their tail. Isn't that funny, though? It really is. The... The, the vitriol that they spewed out over how bad two referees was and how long they went with that campaign for before finally getting what they wanted. And now after two seasons with one ref, it's like they're sulking back. Oh, we kind of need two refs. Who knew? <laughs> it was almost as though we'd needed two refs for many years before they actually brought them in. Mm-hmm. And it fixed up a lot of the problems within mm-hmm. the game. Crazy. Yeah. yeah. And it, it's almost as though the entire final series was marred by missed calls because the referee only has one set of eyes. It, it's amazing. You know, one set of eyes on everything. And we ask them to do everything. It's so silly. I'm so over this administration. They have no idea what they're doing. Yeah, the fact that they would pander to the media as much as they do. Like, taking all of their cues from the media. Fucking hell. Just once I'd like them to say, no, go away. Yeah. That's what I want out of somebody that's leading the game. When some idiot comes out in the media and says, we need a draft, whoever's running the game says, no, that's a stupid idea. We won't be doing that. Actually, I'd like them to come and go, we need a draft and go, hmm, <laughs> fuck off. Just anything. Instead, yeah. they, they, they yeah. pander to it. Yeah, they go, hmm, let's have a look at that. Even last week, they're talking about how, you know, there were going to be some clubs that were going to be having a meeting about, you know, some of the rule changes and stuff like that. And I distinctly remember one line when they said that the club officials would be able to um, express their displeasure, and then the kicker, or give praise <laughs> to the NRL over how their running of the game going. If you're the NRL management, you're not going to ring up the NRL and just say, you're doing a great job. No well, no one does that. Why would you do that? Well, you how about get brownies points. They're not going to say, oh, look, you're going to have an extra $15 million in your salary cap now. <laughs> well, how, about, how about this, right? 
you got to make 16 calls to see uh, so start with Penrith. Hey Penrith, what did you think how did you think this season went? Oh, really really well. Okay, okay. Thanks for your feedback. Okay, South CEO. What did you think? Almost perfect? Could have done a little bit better. Okay. All right, no worries. See you later. Melbourne CEO, how's it going? Oh, could have been a, a quite a bit better towards the end. I understand that, but for, through the regular season you loved it. And then you get down all the way to the Broncos and it's like Ah, su- su- sucked that badly, huh? Really? Okay. Hated every moment of it. I understand. Like, that's the way it would go. Exactly right. Because funnily enough, the teams that do well, they like how everything's going. Yeah, they're the ones most satisfied. Yeah. it's. I always used to find it really funny when they would say, we're putting together a group of people to make sure that the rules are all right in rugby league. And one of them was always Wayne Bennett. That's right. Uh, Wayne Bennett. Always <laughs> the most successful the coaches. <laughs> but they, they always loved the rule that just happened to work perfectly for his team. And he was always successful. So he was always happy anyway. Yeah. So that was just a perfect, you scratch my back, I'll scratch yours. But like when he had a team that was better for, say, um, unlimited interchange, he thought that was really good. But then he, when he had a team that was better for limited interchange, then it needed to be limited. Yeah, he, he, he lobbied, a, lobbied for a change. Yeah, yeah, you know. Uh, it's almost like he he changed his team to lobby for the change because the fans are calling for the change. So he just preemptively went, oh, I'll fix my team and then I'll go and change it and I can just be the saviour again. Well, look, if say you're the Penrith Panthers. You like this this sort of thing where... Every team feels like it can score 40 points and then you stomp on their heads and they can't score six. Because it's like straight away, you're a top four team at worst, you know, just based on your defence because their defence is outstanding. It's a real shame that we're playing in this Philandis ball era because I would love to have seen what their defence was able to do under the 2019 rules. I think it would have been... It would have been historic. And I think that that's the real shame of these rules at the moment. Yeah. it's. I think the other thing too is, I mean, in the past, in the in the early 90s, if, you, if your team scored 30 points in a game, that was a bloody good game they put in. Mm. If your team got to 40, that was a flogging. Oh, yeah. Absolute flogging. Now teams play like shit. And post 40 points. Yeah. So if they have 45 minutes of good football, they will push 50 points. That's nuts. Yeah, and I mean, we saw a couple of games this year where at times it was like, are they going to score 80 points? Like there was, remember there was that game, I think it was Storm versus... The Tigers, Tigers. Yeah. and I, I can't remember if you and me were messaging each other saying like, "Is this is this like the ninety-one point fucking margin that we've just doesn't make sense?" And we're watching Storm, it, you know. Storm were average in the second half. The Tigers were undoubtedly a lot better, mm-hmm. but the Storm dropped off. Yep. The fact that a team can drop off and still post sixty-six points—that's not. That's not a, a sign that the the game is in a good state. Yeah, and, and we talked about this Storm side statistically was the greatest attacking team of all time. 
it, it and look, it, I don't think it's in the top ten attacking teams I've seen in the last twenty years. To be honest with you, they they weren't a special attacking team. No, they were just relentless against teams that uh, struggled with the rules defensively. Yeah, and they were good at essentially what it meant was they were good at maintaining possession. You didn't get cheap turnovers from the Storm very often, especially in the first half of a game, and they they made that. Um, they made that the centerpiece for their wins because they'd score most of their points, I think, um, early on in a half. A few more just before half time, then do the same thing in the second half. You just keep a team on the back foot the whole time. Yeah, it's it's weird the way the season ended because we ended up with uh, after all of these crap score lines of like. Team scoring 40 points all the time. And then the last few finals games we saw, the, the Panthers versus Parramatta game was a slog. And I think so, you've got to say some of it had to do with the um, inability of both teams to attack properly. And then the Melbourne versus Penrith game was a slog. And then the grand final was also a slog. And... I I think that that's probably a bit of a saving grace because if those games had have been 30 to 40, you know, one team scores 30, one team scores 40, or one team scores 26 and still loses the match, this season would have been just 100% trash. Yeah, absolutely. It's, um, it's, It's weird, you know, you see... Remember back in the early 2000s, we had like five or six teams that conceded over 700 points for the year. Mm. You're like, that's nuts. Like, that should be something that the media's talking about, about how crap defences are, that that many teams can concede over 700 points. Mm. We have, what, three three teams this year do that? And, and like we, we've talked on this podcast before, that was the worst era of rugby league we've seen. Uh, this year topped it for sure. Yeah, it dragged us back in there. I mean, at the end of the year, Manly scored 884 points. Melbourne scored 907. South scored 903. Yeah, and like... That's I'm nuts. Like, 2,600 points between three teams. But how about this? Manly wasn't that good. No. It's not like me. you looked at that Manly side and were like, wow... They've got attack and prowess all across the park. It just wasn't. Well, I was to think too. I mean, you look at Melbourne, and they were they went on this what two month run where they just thrashed everyone. Mm-hmm. They only scored four points more than South for the year. One try yeah. more. Yeah, that's it. Yeah. Now look, you look at that South back line, as like when they've got Mitchell and everyone on board, and you could say, well, that South back line, a bloody good back line. You know, and Benji Marshall coming off the bench, bench, pretty bloody good. The Melbourne Storm, and I'm, it's it's a credit to the fact that they play s- such high percentage football, and they're so well coached. I'm not running them down. I'm just saying that if you say line up their players against, say, the '94 Raiders, it's it's not close. The '94 Raiders have the better attacking players. Absolutely. It's, it's And so it's not like we're looking at the 94 Raiders for three different teams here, is what no. I'm saying. 
Right. There's some great teams. Look, the Melbourne Storm have had teams like that where you look at their back line and it's like Slater and Inglis and Cronk and it, like all of these great players. And those teams that were better than this Melbourne team in terms of attack. I agree. I absolutely agree. Um, it comes down to the, as I said, the methodical way that they approach games, especially, as I said, they, they like to lay a really good platform early and they just built on that. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a, that's just a Bellamy trademark. That is, it's, they, they do have to do something, the ARL, see, and that's something is don't bring in a draft. Just have a look at what worked in 2019 and go, right, let's roll everything back to there and just have one season like that and see if that fixes things. And if it doesn't, let's look at other changes we could make, not the ones we made. Yeah. Yeah. Is it two referees? Bring back scrums properly. Um, Stop dicking around with the when the video ref can be used and when they have to award a try bonus or stuff. Just let them... Let the on-the-field ref call for the bunker. Yeah. Let the bunker make a decision. And once they've made the decision, let the referee in the field go, right, this is a decision, and move on. But yeah. the, whole, the whole argument behind, you know, making the ref make the call on the spot and then letting the bunker review it was, so, it was for the dumb... Fuck me, this is stupid. For the dumb reason of, oh, we want to make sure the fans get to celebrate a trial when it happens instead of having to sit and watch on a screen to see if it's been awarded or not. That is not the basis for a rule change. No. That's wank. And, the, the, like, the worst thing you could do is put points on the board. Have And it's weird because it's like in this fantasy land, it's only the teams that, that, that score that were celebrating the try. It's not all the neutral fans that are watching on TV or even the fans from opposition that are like, holy shit, did you see that try? That was pretty amazing. And then they take the points off the board and we're going back 40 metres upfield because we went back and we think we saw an obstruction, you know. It was terrible. Because they hated the fact that fans had to wait for a result from the bunker. Mm. So they gave them the opportunity to enjoy the moment of having scored a try and let them celebrate. And then that moment where they have to wait for the bunker is revived anyway. Because after the try scored, you go, all oh, right, let's watch the screen and see if it gets awarded now. And then the points get taken off when it's disallowed. Yeah. That, I would rather, I'd rather be at a game and watch the bunker make a decision and then say no try, and then we move forward than being given a try and then have it taken away. That yeah. would give me the shits hard. Look, they I got did to... all you and I was watching it. Yeah, I, I got to a point where I was like, I could literally be done with the bunker for everything except grounding in for a try. Be, yeah. uh, like, I would be happy with forward passes. I'd be happy with obstructions. I'd be happy with knock-ons at the play the ball. I'd I'd be happy to let all of that be something that you just had to deal with because I am sick of stopping football games. I'm sick of it. That's the thing. It's it's not the bunker that does that. It's the change in the rules that did that. But, like, how many – like, there's just so many times this year, and I would tweet it. 
I'd get so frustrated. I know, but that's why the thing aren't is, we playing football? <laughs> they, they changed the rules so that if the bunker wanted to intervene and stop the game because they saw something, then they had every right to do so. Yeah, and there should never be a point in any sport with the main referee on the field looks at the players and says, I don't know why we've stopped. I've just listened to him from my ear for instruction, instructions, you know. Yeah. That was ridiculous. Yeah. What they should have done to show the folly of it all is to just give the referee a mobile phone. <laughs> so he's running along and he just says, everybody, everybody, stop, 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 stop. And he just pulls the phone out of his pocket. He's just sitting there on hold. But we literally almost have that. He's just got it in no, his ear. That's all like, I had to do. Just make him actually hold a phone to his ear. Hold it up just and, so they And see. don't make it like a, a modern phone. Make it like that, that first Nokia phone, the brick phone. The Motorola one, sorry. Hold a big I, brick to your ear. Yeah. I have a brick phone. I, I have one of the Motorola ones that came out after the brick phone. All right. It was quite sturdy. You could... I used to drop it on farms and stuff like that all the time, and it'd get yeah. coated in mud and dirt and whatever else, and smacked itself on rocks and posts, and then it never broke. Yeah, they were pretty. Uh, they were pretty sturdy. I reckon if you found one, you could probably press the button and it'd turn on still. Absolutely. So if we were going to go down a rabbit hole, you're talking about old phones and just show our age an awful lot. So I think we might just go skip over that. Yeah, I don't know what you're talking about, Andrew. Old phone, like you mean like the Apple, like nine, the iPhone nine is an old phone. Is that what you're talking about, you old bastard? I'm talking about the ones where you only had a capacity to store 15 text messages on it. (laughs) (laughs) You know what I'm talking about. I don't know what you're talking about, you old You you old old bastard. You old old fuck. (laughs) Back in my day, I remember. I was at school. I was at school. I remember a a a girl I was talking to once, and she was like, "This is my number. You can text me." And I was like, "Yeah, I can." But why would I do that? She was like, "That's how that's how you use these phones now. You just text people." It's like that sounds like it's stupid. It'll never catch on. Why would I text someone I could just call them? To your credit, though, you have doubled down because you still haven't sent a text message. I just refuse to. I'm holding out. That's right. I I, I respect that. Hey, text text messages and vaccines, eh? They go hand in hand, don't they? People probably want to know. And it's none of their goddamn business. I was going to say, there seems to be this um this thing that goes on in society at the moment where you need to broadcast the fact that you've been vaccinated. I know, right? Yeah. How about, how about all the people that blew up? Because the AFL come out and said, we're going to want all of our players vaccinated. And then the NRL come out and said, we're not going to force players to get vaccinated to play next fucking March. And so people blew up, and then Peter Volantis come out and just gibbered and, and didn't really say anything in particular, but ran around in enough circles that you could get angry of, of whatever he said. And people were so angry, and I'm like, I don't give a flying fuck about the vaccination status of rugby league players for 2021 in March while it's still fucking October. I'm sorry. I can't do it. It's... The only thing I took out of all of that is um, 
the stupidity of Landy's. Yeah. I'm not, I'm not picking a fight here on either side with the vaccine thing or not, but um, <laughs> Landy's had one sentence, and I'll read it out for you word for word mm-hmm. to show you just how fucking nuts it was. An unvaccinated player is at no more risk than a vaccinated player. The only risk <laughs> is that he will get very, very sick, while a vaccinated player may not get very sick at all. <laughs> Sounds like it's more risky to me. I don't know. I'm not a doctor, but the, the, the funny An thing about... An unvaccinated player is at no more risk. And then he says, the only risk. So there is a risk. The funny thing is the unvaccinated player will get very, very sick. That's all of the risk, Peter. Yeah. (laughs) The amazing thing about everything he said in that interview was that it didn't matter what, what your outlook on all of this stuff is. He said something that pissed you off. (laughs) Cause he was like, not only did he say something that pissed you off, he also said something you agree with. (laughs) Yeah. Well, that's the thing. It's like, you know what? This guy sounds like an anti-vaxxer, but he thinks you should be vaccinated, the bastard. He just confused everyone. That I think his problem is when he opens his mouth and he talks. That's pretty much it. Yeah. He's to stop doing that. No. It, it's, it's bad. Every time he does it, it's bad. If you ask Pasco what his stance was, he'd say, oh, I'm, I'm not talking about vaccines because they sacked me. Well, he'd he'd probably just be so non-committal, hey? I feel like he'd just would not commit. He'd be like, oh, you know, vaccine, no vaccine. Oh, I'm cool with it, whatever, man. Yeah. Just 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 tell me if you're vaccinated, and that'll be good enough. Are you vaccinated? No. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Fine by me. Carry just... on. It must be weird brushing your hair and you start from, like, the top of your skull. <laughs> and go back. Yeah. Wow. Forehead's another inch thicker today. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, he's got a... I wonder if, I wonder if Nate Miles looks at Pasco and goes, fucking greedy bastard. First, the first time Nate Miles sees Pasco and he's like, holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon he would. Are, are, are they the players with the biggest foreheads? Oh, they've got to be. Like, I can't think of anybody that had a bigger forehead than Nate Miles. His was insane. Yeah, his was fucking impressive. It just swallowed his, his the, the eyebrow region and just kept going. If he didn't have that giant forehead, like if it was, if it was like uh, more proportional to the rest of his head, he'd have only been like five foot seven. <laughs> That's right. Gallon never would have hit him in the head. No, he would, would have, have been an swing over the top. Yeah. <laughs> By the way, Paul Gallon's fighting. What is, who is it? Josh Alloy. Yeah, Ole. Was it uh, Oshay Ole? Yeah, Oshay Ole. Um. How how amazing is that get fight going to be? I just can't wait to not watch that one. Yeah, I've I've seen that it's um the build up is absolutely fucking identical to every other Paul Gallon fight one, yeah. where Paul Gallon has had zero to say about this person until there's a fight on the horizon. Yeah, and then all of a sudden he's shit talking them to the extreme, 
and they should talk in response. And it's really, really sad. Mm-hmm. Not just the interaction, but the quality of the, the banter. It's it's drivel. And yeah. no one buys it because after every single one of Gallant's fights, he then goes, oh, thanks for the fight. It was really good of you and blah, 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 and talks about it. He's very, very grateful for the for the contest and that sort of stuff. And then they never say anything about each other ever again. Yeah. You're going, what happened to all that passion and hatred? Did it only exist for the lead up to the fight? If so, we can see what you're doing. This this model for trying to drum up um, viewers, it's going to stop working pretty quick. I just think it's funny that the uh, Australian heavyweight boxing scene is so bad that it's just celebrity fights. It's basically just NRL players now. Yeah, pretty much. Like, I think um, Gallen, Gallen did himself, as a boxer, quite a few favours with that last fight he had. Like he actually came up against a proper boxer, and while he lost the fight, um, he showed that he's he's definitely got the the chin to be in boxing. He can he can actually stand out there and and take it from some of the best boxers, especially we've got in Australia anyway. But yeah, but that's the that's the thing. And he needs to, if he's smart though, he builds on that. Like you've just taken on a genuine professional boxer, and you went toe to toe with him. You went all the way to the final round. You yeah, build on that. Just... You actually, you actually, actually had some people who had no care for him whatsoever. Actually, go. You know what? Deserve a bit of respect for that fight. You went. You know what? You've turned a corner, Paul. So stop doing the shit talking crap because no one buys that. And go. You know what? Let's focus on trying to be just a proper boxer and not trying to do some WWE shit. I think. No I, I I think these Australian boxing types. They sell celebrity fights because that's how they make their money. I think Paul Gallen went the distance with a guy who normally fights at RSL clubs. And the fact that a bunch of NRL players between the ages of like 30 and 45 have at some point been heavyweight champions of Australia says it all. I just think the whole thing is a fucking joke. And it's fine. You know, it's like... But I just can't pretend that they're all world-class fighters. I can't do that. I'm just happy to say, yeah, Australian heavyweight, it's celebrity boxing, and, you know, fuck it. (laughs) That's Um, how I feel. Paul Gallon, though, is... He is ranked number three in Australia in the heavyweights. Yeah, you know. And good luck to him, too. How old's Paul Garland? 39? Yeah. This, he's just found the the elixir of life, hasn't he? He has, he has. It's amazing to me. Uh-huh. Do you know he's also, out of the 1,095 heavyweight boxers in the world, he's ranked 55? Yeah, it's silly. It's fucking dumb. I think what he needs to do is just... He needs to call out Tyson Fury. I, I, I think I would like to see Mike Tyson against him. Nah, Mike, he, doesn't, yeah, Mike, he doesn't need he doesn't need to fight old men. He needs to take yes. on the takes on take on Andrew, some of the absolute best. Andrew, he is a fucking old man. No, he's not. We just well, he's, we he's, just mentioned he's he's drinking from the elixir of life. The the wonderful, tasty elixir of life 
it yeah. really agrees with him. It does. It does. He's um, mm. he's a fan. Yeah. Yeah, I reckon he should he should take on um take on Tyson Fury. What's he I'll, got to lose? I would like to see him fight Brock Lesnar in a boxing match. You know what? I was channel surfing the other day, and I just happened to go past um, the you know, WWE was on one. Yeah, and I saw this ridiculously looking, you know, bodied human with a really weird beard and a st- even stupider ponytail. I went, who the fuck is that idiot? And I went, oh, it's Brock Lesnar now. He's got a ponytail. Oh, really? Yeah. Is this a bad time to say that my hair is now long enough that I could probably do that? Not at all. Yeah, I I, I haven't. Because I mean, the difference is you actually built better than Brock Lesnar is. So you can you can pull off a ponytail. Yeah, if, I mean, if I ever looked as bad as Brock Lesnar's body does, I'd be pretty disappointed, you know. You'd be hard on yourself. Yeah, yeah. Um. No, my hair is now long enough that I could do something with it like that. I'm not going to, though. Um, It's my COVID hair. I just have let it grow. At one point, I let my facial hair do the same thing, but I shaved it recently. Okay, so are you you going with the long hair until COVID is eradicated, or do you plan on getting a haircut sometime soon? Well, here's the thing. I've shaved my head for a long time now. And I like when I was younger, when I was a kid, I used to have long hair. It's just because my hair couldn't grow long. It's really weird. And so, and I got to about, I think I was 16, and I was like, I'm, I, I don't like hair on my face. So I started shaving my head, number two. And, uh, and I've just done that for forever. And my hair's long like this, and it's like, I just, I just don't care, to be honest with you. That's what it comes down to. Yeah, see, my hair had been growing ever since the Melbourne lockdown began back in uh, 2014, I think it was. Mm-hmm. It was a while ago. Mm-hmm. So mine was ridiculously long, and my long hair is um, unmanageable, stupid-looking, stupider than my face. Um, <laughs> so I was hating it intensely. Mm. So when we had um, our... Lockdown partially semi ended last weekend. Yeah, um, a lot of people in Melbourne called it Freedom Day. It's not. We're still we're still locked in fucking Melbourne. Yeah. Um, I went and got a haircut, and my haircut is always just a number three. And the funny thing is, obviously, you turn up to work on Monday. Every other person had this was in the same boat as me, so they all went. You know what? We're all getting haircuts. We're sick of our long hair, and oh yeah, instead of you know, usually when you go to a workplace or you go somewhere and people you have a haircut, you know, in the before time, mm-hmm. the before COVID time, people yeah. go, oh, you've had a haircut. Like, yeah, no shit. Mm. <laughs> um, now when it happened, because we all have to get a haircut at the same time, everyone's looking around going, yeah, don't really need to say anything. <laughs> you know, we're all <laughs> in the same boat now. Yeah. Just move on. But you do find that everyone's sort of doing double takes going, who are you? Oh, Yeah. <laughs> I'm Sorry, getting by. I, I'm getting I, by wearing lots of hats. Yeah, at the I, moment. I didn't recognise you with that 16 kilos of hair on your head. Yeah. Tell you yeah. what, though, I had a bit of a sore back prior to getting a haircut. It's all fine now. Oh, there you go. Yeah. 
Must be that was my weekend getting a haircut. <laughs> Took most of the weekend. See, this is why we shouldn't send 17-year-olds to Melbourne because they got drafted. Yeah, you got to pay $20 to get a buzz cut. Exactly. Do it yourself, people. That's what I've done. Yeah. You just cut your own fucking hair. Be a, be a fucking man. You stand there, you cut your own hair, you look in the mirror and you say, job fucking done, son. And then you go out, you drink beer, you smash your car up. You pay higher premiums for your insurance. That's what being a man's all about. That's all right. It's exactly it's covered all the bases right there. Exactly. You clutch your chest when you're about you know sixty seven, and it's all over. <laughs> Tiggity boo. Done. Done. Um, have we? I'm going to spring this on you. Have we had any emails? Uh, not that I know of, and I'm not looking. <laughs> So to any of our listeners who did send an email, uh, fuck you. <laughs> fuck you, bastards. Now, send some emails in. We'll read them out in the next episode. Yeah, go we... to com. go to the contact section, and send an email. It can be about anything. Rugby league, off-season. COVID talk. COVID talk. Uh, your thoughts on vaccinations, non-vaccinations. Um, anything. Boxing. Ask advice. <laughs> Ask advice. Yeah, ask us some advice. I'll give you some life advice if you ask for it. How about that? That's uh, that could be interesting. Yeah, I'm I'm willing to to see how that goes. Yeah, it'll be fun. Why not? Um, yeah, that's pretty much it, isn't it? Yeah, I hope you've uh, enjoyed this episode, Mrs. Ferguson. Yeah. Um, Wake up. <laughs> Yeah, I can't believe you're still lying there listening to us. It's crazy. I've got to say, too, happy birthday to both mum and dad. Yeah, happy birthday. Mum um, turned 42. Mm-hmm. Dad, I believe, has always been 63. Mm-hmm. I, think he was, I think he went through most of primary school, normal, like five, six, seven, eight years old, and he got to high school and just turned 63. Nice. He's just been there ever since. It's like an English rugby league hooker then. <laughs> uh, so, yeah, he's uh, uh, they're both good. They're going strong. They're keeping that's, the country alive. That's really good to hear. They're the salt of the earth, your parents. And, uh, you know, good country people. Yes. And th- I tell you what, they live really close to a really good clay shooting club. Let me tell you. <laughs> The best in New South Wales. Oh, yeah. They, uh, they were passionate about getting that thing up and going, just yeah. like everybody else in the Riverina was. And... Yeah, yeah. There's not really anywhere else you can shoot a gun in the Riverina. Yeah, other than outside, just anywhere outside of Wagga. Yeah, uh, yeah. Maybe you could go to the Kapuka Army Base. Well, there guns is, there. There is some there, but, you know. <laughs> I'm just glad that now the clay, the clay shooters in that area, and I hear it, Numbers in the like nearly dozen. Uh, they've all got a really good facility to use there. So yeah, good luck I, to them. I, rem- I remember the time well. The um, we're, we're just going through life as you do. It's pretty cruising the country, and then the media comes out there and tells us that there's going to be a clay shooting facility in Wagga, and pretty much every single person in Tauranga goes, "What the fuck for? <laughs> Who asked for that?" 
And the next thing you know, the thing was built. And we went, okay then. The good and thing is... It just it, became a out-of-the-way car park, for as far as I'm aware. Well, look, no one was actually using it. The important thing is, it was all done above board, and that's all we can say about it legally. <laughs> <laughs> it's all fine. Yeah. It was, look, uh, if, if you're still listening at this point, we apologise. Look, we, I'll be honest, we we almost went into politics, but we kind of stopped ourselves. Yeah, true. Yeah. We don't want to let anyone know what our political persuasions are. No, we certainly do not. Yeah, Freaky's a greenie. That isn't <laughs> obvious. <laughs> I mean, I, if people didn't get that from the fact that he doesn't cut his hair, I don't know what, it, you know, how else are we going to figure this out? My my microphone is made from hemp fibers. Um, where can people find us, Andrew? Um, well, they won't find me at the hairdresser anymore, but they might find you there. Um, we're also on the social medias, LinkedIn and uh, sorry, I went the wrong way there. Instagram and Twitter, Fergo Freak Pod. We're also on LinkedIn, YouTube, Facebook, MySpace. So check us all out on all of those. If you can get over to Facebook, um. Subscribe, like all the videos. Trust me, it won't take you long. It's only like 360 clicks. You mean this YouTube? Page. Yeah, on YouTube. That's one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get over there and click on all of those things. Like everything. Um, that'd be all great. Um, and just put all the videos on and just let them all run. It'll only take a few days, weeks, probably weeks. Um, but that'd be cool. Yeah, and, and leave us a five star rating on Apple iTunes. Uh, it helps with all the algorithms, and we're all about that algorithm lifestyle. Oh, man, I've, there's nothing more exciting for me than an algorithm. A really good algorithm. Mm. Mate, guess my blood going, that does. There's there's two things I like in life, really, really like. One of them, I can't say. The other thing is algorithms. Yeah, we, we won't go on the other one. No, no. I'll have to get my bib out otherwise. Yeah, and lawyers. Yeah, they're just expensive. We'd rather not give them any money. No. Um, so, yeah, thanks for tuning in, everyone. Hope you were um, informed and possibly entertained. And if neither of those, hopefully at the start of a good sleep. And uh, on that note, catch us all next time.